Welcome to Frankly, a podcast by Frank. So this is a fashion podcast. Yeah, and fashion is a way of doing things. It isn't about clothes and accessories. Right, it's about what we want to feel connected to. This episode is sponsored by Electronic Sheep. Electronic Sheep is a network brand run by Dublin friends Helen Delaney and Brenda O'Hearn. Each season, they take an inspiration from dolls' houses to old cowboy movies to their teenage nightclub haunts and create original illustrations which are woven into scarves, jumpers and jackets. You can recognise these pieces anywhere, as Brenda was telling us. Saoirse Ronan has been seen. Oh yes. Wearing yeah. one recently. It's several in several locations. I know, and actually we didn't... We didn't see that at all. That was what somebody who has an electronic sheep scarf recognized that Saoirse Ronan had an electronic sheep on. The network is working. (laughs) And then she texted us. She was like, it's definitely an electronic sheep, isn't it? And we were like, yeah, it is. And that one is from probably about six or seven years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so it was kind of nice that she still had it, (laughs) you know, and was wearing it. These are pieces that aren't just made by friends, but are bought by friends. Um, Grace Moore had given her that scarf as a present, so she Uh, is friends with her too. (laughs) Electronic Sheep, the friendship bracelets of knitwear. Frank is a fashion magazine, but one that isn't about telling you what to wear or how to make someone else happy or what's cool. That's about asking interesting questions. We started this with a print publication that's the size of a book and can fit in a crossbody bag. And now we're also going to be having these kinds of conversations on a podcast. To introduce you to the first episode of that podcast, you have me, Bryony Summers, talking to Mia Colloran, our producer. So we're in the studio today with Will Dunn, a long-time collaborator with Frank. And I really wanted to talk to you because we share like a huge interest in fashion. We've covered it from really different perspectives. So I want to know sort of the role that fashion and luxury has in your life. I want to know how you feel about the history of it. I want to know why we have different perspectives, how luxury is different for men and women. And I want to talk about what it ultimately comes down to for us. So I think if we start off, was it really kind of, I think our shared interest here comes, you know, down to appreciating a good cobbler. Um, you know, you buy a good pair of shoes and you want them to see you through a, a good few years. And that's like, I know most of the time we meet for coffee and we, you've just been on an errand getting, getting something fixed. Even today you're wearing mended trousers. So. <laughs> Which you confuse for the, the ink stains. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And we're like, I have to take a thick picture immediately. <laughs> but I think it's, it is that thing of, of if you're really appreciating what went into it, like how... Like well crafted, it is. Um, but also, I think there's something you know, like if you have a nice something really nice, you want it to last. But also, I think there's a the thing of it actually sort of improving with wear and mending. You know, the idea that if you have something that's been with you for a while, it kind of adapts to you in some ways. And each of like the blows it takes, or like something that needs to be mended, becomes then this like almost better than if you just bought it fresh. Uh, yeah, there's something for me, especially with a pair of shoes, because they feel like, you know, something that kind of carry you, so they have such a practical function. Um, and there's something about kind of like replacing the soles and like you're kind of in it together. 
and you know that like the shoes are like worthy or good enough of like investing in and you know and i think especially with shoes because they kind of mold to your feet Mm. you know so like if you bought new shoes you have to break them in again so there's something really nice about having that like continuity but then even sometimes as well like i have i have this beautiful coat that i was actually given as a present the buttons on it are too small for the buttonholes it's oh, a yeah, sample yeah. so it's probably one of those things that they changed when it went into stores but it keep, kept popping open so i've got like one of those big kind of kilt safety pins <laughs> and a pink ribbon on it that i now use as a button and there's something i really like i mean i really like the pink ribbon on it i really enjoy yeah, it's a beautiful material yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a real stickler for, like, a good ribbon, you know, because you can get kind of, like, really synthetic ribbons that aren't as nice. This is, like, a really good cotton one. But then also there's something about the fact that, you know, it hangs in a certain way. It's kind of molded, and I've kind of, like, put my effort into it. Exactly. It's, like, this is really pretentious, but it's, like, that thing Kant said of, like, when you mix your labor with the soil, that's, like, how property is established. Yeah, like, yeah. like, I properly own it because it's got something of mine on it, and even... Yeah, yeah, you've made it yours. Yeah. I think that's the idea as well, that there's something... That's why, you know, I kind of mean about... I suppose it not being the same as if you just bought it straight there. It has no character. It doesn't feel like it's it's really aged. I think yeah. all the best things... You know, like with shoes, I think in particular, if, if they, they get weathered and worn, they always end up kind of a slightly different colour right. than when you started out. Not necessarily a worse one, though, just like it's like taking on something. And like even the small things that you can... Cr- cr- quite never get rid of whether it's with shoes with other yeah. things kind of remind you like you said because of those you, things. you have a lot of stuff that you've had like darned essentially so you it's like you know so say like i thought it was an ink stain yeah you know but like so but you don't have you don't feel there's anything wrong with that at all you don't feel there are like imperfections or problems on your clothes i think it yeah i think it depends always how it ends up coming out it looks a bit too like the too like that but there's some things i think there's some things where they really do feel like this is an enhancement but they really feel like that the extension of like the practicality, like it's been well used and well worn, and can take the blow and come back for it. And I suppose that 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 kind of that feels that doesn't feel like an imperfection. That shows that the thing is much better than I don't know if it never had any of that. If it just felt like it, it, it would feel less like yeah, it would feel less like as you said, like a part of yourself. Like you really like less like it's been made your own. But is there so, something as well? I mean, you probably wouldn't bother fixing everything. No. Yeah. I think it's those things which which take it well. Like there's some things yeah. where if, if it's meant to look a bit too, if it's meant to look too nice, meant to look a bit too pristine, it doesn't probably work as well. Right. But if it's something like tweed or it's something like you know leather, they can take that sort of thing because it, it fits with them, I suppose. Yeah. But also, I suppose there's something often about appreciating even the repair to them that that becomes itself part like of the, the craftsmanship. Of it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That that in addition to the the kind of appreciating the, the material you know you get to appreciate the fact that this has been put back together yeah. that this has worn it yeah for me it's often things that I get repaired are things that like would be very high quality and mm. you know especially so like wool and silk and those sorts of things like I have a lot of kind of secondhand cashmere jumpers I've carefully sewn back together or I have a beautiful silk top that has the first time I wore it or wider cream top like red wine is still all down the back and I think it's interesting, though, because there's something that I think relates to sort of the history of luxury and how we understand it, the kind of the almost political aspect to it, because the fear of luxury historically has been that it's this unnecessary excess. Mm. You know, it's indicative of horrible, like, inequality in society, and it's this idleness. Yeah, really. yeah. So there's something interesting that now, today, like, luxury items are actually about work and maintaining them, and it's not about... It's not actually that 
quick, disposable, inconsiderate nature, something we now much more associate with the high street. Exactly. I think it's it's like that's one aspect of it, and that, that now that they can take the wear, they can actually work out better. That's the classic thing people say of, oh, if you invest in a good like pair of shoes, or if you invest in you know something that you know that will last. And that's you know I think you see that I think you see that in quite quality things in general, but especially I think probably in menswear. You know, if you I think the other thing probably is as well that there's an aspect which it isn't it's considered people really, I don't know, appreciating those things, that also has changed it. You know, you don't see, it's not thought as much maybe this day that, you know, it'll just be consumed and thrown away. Yeah. Not as if it will last longer. But I think however much like that might be somewhat accepted in terms of how we treat luxury items, yeah. and that might be kind of common practice, I don't think the discussion around it really reflects that. I think, well, I f- think it's really interesting. So there was this, there's this really big nerdy journal article <laughs> I read a few years ago, and it's called by Jeremy Jennings. It's about the debate about luxury in French philosophical thinking. And it's from the Journal of the History of Ideas, which is like a pretty intense title. But I thought what was so interesting about it was like charting that history of luxury and how, you know, in the kind of 1700s, and it was seen as, you know, a move away from society going from this more kind of traditional society to one that was more commercial and that we weren't trying to pursue virtue anymore and being a good person but happiness and individual joy mm. and that was seen as something really really suspicious and so often when luxury was criticized it was this coded political attack but what was really interesting is this was right before the french revolution mm. and by the end of the french revolution it just became not an issue and luxury was seen as a sign of a healthy economy and how that kind of narrative would work was that it was seen as a natural part of femininity. Yeah, there's 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 some part of it, isn't there, where they say like, you know, in fact, if a, you know, it's good that the woman is like interested in luxury, or like, mm. they then she won't be able to take, you know, she needs to be distracted with that. That's just a right. part of it for her. The inherent superficial nature exactly. of women rearing it. Exactly. Head yeah. Um, and it's, I just thought, yeah, I think that was very interesting because uh, it goes from being luxury is, as you said, like totally superfluous, totally a distraction from things to like luxury is fine if it's kept in its proper place if part of like healthy consumerism healthy like fossil economy and like you said i think we're still stuck with that kind of framework today in some ways and how we think about those things and still stuck with that superfluity how how do you feel about that though because i mean in your kind of in your relationship with clothes because i feel that menswear isn't really fashion that it's much more functional kind of i didn't even know what i'd call it yeah, I, but I think that's that's definitely true. I think it's, I mean, I think coming from that, you have an idea that, oh, well, you know, like the, at the end of the 18th century, after the 18th century, that's kind of the last time men and women could be said to like be equally kind of, I think in the popular mind, extravagant yeah. in how their you know, clothing is. You know, that's why you have that old fashioned, you know, the kings with like powdered wigs yeah, and, and like white high heels and, and like all these sort of yeah. things. And even the idea like that, that how men use their bodies, like that they won't like, you know, they could show off their legs before and then all these right. different things. All those tights, man. Exactly. Tights. Yeah. And, you know, it was much more important for men than for women if they have, yeah. you know, huge skirts or whatever. And I think in the 19th century comes this thing of, you know, practicality right. with men of like, you know, you're inherently tied to like, you know, even the idea, even, even now, like, men's fashion is still kind of composed of like to some extent like different pieces that are like taken from either military or sporting wear that right. are still being kind of just reinvented and played with and it's like very small adjustments exactly between yeah. different things like i was even chatting to my uncle about this and about kind of especially on the red carpet how it's such a for me it was so frustrating with that ask her more oh yeah campaign when it was this so i think it was a year or two ago and it was that um, spearheaded by a number of very powerful women in Hollywood saying that they were sick of being only asked about what they were wearing on the red carpet, whereas men were asked about their projects they're working on, about the work they'd done. And I think, you know, there's obviously a huge problem with that when women's creative contributions aren't 
are even respected. But I thought it was really interesting that the tie went towards what men are known for as opposed to what women are known yeah. for at events that are so explicitly about dressing up and the show and everything. I mean, it's such a huge part of the marketing for fashion houses, but it's also events that have chosen to be black tie and red carpet. Um, and, and like chosen, as, as you always say, like it's chosen to like say that the feminine thing is, I suppose, like the like more super, the more ridiculous thing yeah, to get rid of. Exactly. In that, you know, because to me, I was like, as I said to my uncle, I was like, well, why don't we just ask men about what they're wearing? <laughs> exactly. And then yeah. his response was like, oh, why are your lapels slightly skinnier than his lapels? Which is a good point. But I think also, I mean, you have a great example of. Oh yeah, well, I I just thought that the one time I think we came in any way close to that was. Uh, a couple of years ago at the Met Ball when Anna Winter had Sarah Jessica Parker co-host it with her and they had it as they had the dress code as white tie and decorations and this prompted much more difficulty for like the men going than for the women and there was an hilarious what show is it on again? The Seth Meyers yeah, show, yeah. show he does. There was this hilarious like interview where they just went through various like male attendees at the event and just like this was wrong that was wrong and like kept laughing about like how this like this had prompted such confusion for some of them because yet some people had gone so like <laughs> yeah. white tie i mean i'm not that familiar with it so explain what white tie actually is oh it's like you have instead of like black tie you have like a tailcoat going down like you've this uh kind of more even more kind of elaborate and kind of impractical thing where you have like white waistcoats and like a white tie and like a really high stiff kind of winged collar and uh, the real old school yeah exactly yeah. you know the, the the real formal I suppose because I remember thing. some of them it was like there was a white tie yeah attached to like a, a right. yeah attached to a black tie outfit yeah exactly. or like a white jacket oh yeah yeah which you definitely you have a black jacket yeah tie. exactly yeah. You have a really long one with tails that go down it makes it hard to sit down and things like that you can never even close the jacket mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, yeah, there was something about, what was it, I was just saying that, that Tom Ford had been rung up by a load of the people attending it, asking, uh, ask, we like ringing up in confusion, with no idea what they were going to do. And then, uh, and then apparently they also were asking, you know, it says white tie and decorations on it. So uh, I assume the decorations refer to Christmas tree decorations. And Tom, you know, could you advise us on what to pick? And Anna Winter was, you know, shaking her head and despairing of the state of the world. But it was just—it was just one of those, those nice moments where sort of it was reversed, and there was sort of a sense that like yeah. these people were going to have to. I mean, still as you said, like a really limited, conformed dress code that you were having to have to like have minimal variation within. Yeah. But still, something where I suppose it—it was—it was odd and kind of amusing, precisely for how unusual it was that you'd have those sort of questions directed primarily at men. And I mean, do you feel kind of in terms of your enjoyment of of like what you wear? Like, what does it center on for you? Like, what's luxurious about it? Well, I think part of it's the, as you're we talking about, like the, the craft that kind of goes into it. Like you often have like feel like the quality of the material and these sorts of things. I think it's less about, it always is with sort of menswear clothes, like less about like these I- ideas that are often in them. Even like, mm. even like more abstract brands do still center on like practical functions. You know, where, any kind of brand, even something like Gucci, whatever, still focuses on its heritage and nature right. at times. And so there's a sense of it being more like eternal because it's like, less variation, more practical. It's never going to quite go out yeah. of fashion. It's never based entirely on, you know, the... It's like transcendent. Exactly, yeah. It's just like <laughs> style, there's, yeah. A fun- there's a function over, what e- over any kind of, like, embodiment of a particular style, yeah. I suppose. And I think, because I think it's so interesting that for me, what, like, the things that to me feel really luxurious are, like, I mean, in men's work, because the focus is quite microscopic. Mm. And for me, it's a much more kind of macro consideration. Yeah. So, like say okay so say you you're wearing your like mended trousers today yeah. like I'm wearing a bright pink jumper from Electronic Sheep this uh, an amazing Irish brand and 
it's like the the sleeves are have two layers of wool they're double lined in the back and there's amazing kind of like complicated weave textures and but the main thing is that it's got this like amazing illustration of a cowboy boat in the front and it's like <laughs> really bright pink and to me that feels luxurious because the pinkness the cowboy boot aren't functional mm. they're just there for the sake of it there's no real need for them and that to me is so fun and that's what I think when I feel like I'm wearing my favorite outfits or things that have a something a little bit like insane or not quite rational yeah you know, yeah you know it's uh, even though I, I mean the lined sleeves are <laughs> a definite like luxury thing as well even though and that would always be sort of like a more like the, the typical like menswear way of right. studying them like oh yeah the back of the collar is like blue you know, in a plain grey suit or something like that, which no one can see and, you know, maybe only is, you know, apparent to the person. But I think it's, it is funny, like, those sort of things, those sort of unnecessary elements, you get them in men's web, but they're so much more constrained. Like, even a tie, which is, I'm ultimately, like, tying a bit of silk around your neck, which is seen as, like, very conformist and very whatever, but it's still, I suppose, unnecessary in, yeah. in, on its most basic level. For me, I suppose I would think of... You can still have that, that unnecessary thing, but it is much more confined. It is still much more like a sense of luxury, primarily coming from, I don't know, those sort of like the quality and things like that, less so from a sense of like this being completely unnecessary because you would just feel like you were going to outside expectations, yeah. I guess. And well, I think there's a real kind of a, like a shame for men around having been too daring. Hmm. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, I, I occasionally feel like, oh, I'm, I'm crazy because I'm wearing like very brightly colored socks or something which you'd occasionally see in something like that, because that's very impractical, uh, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to other things. But yeah. even that's very minor compared to everything But I think else. that leads on to another question that I'm really interested to talk about, which is, I mean, are there ways in which luxury can be unluxurious? Like, can our relationship with luxury items like cause yeah. us to feel things that are not pleasant and not about like joyfulness and oh, nice definitely things. yeah I mean, niceness I... being the phrase I frequently <laughs> use to describe it <laughs> not feeling yeah good right <laughs> crazy idea um, <laughs> but yeah I think you kind of got that and mentioned that earlier when we're talking about like our discussion of these things like we moved on to that sort of eighteenth century idea you know it's still like well I mean some luxury okay but if you get a bit too far you know if you if you thinking too much about these things you you know you kind of you know there's the irish phrase and they're like notions yeah. uh you know to describe the ideas kind of, above your station exactly yeah, yeah that you're going to there's like there's a certain of luxury allowed because you know we're all aspiring middle class people who need to make the economy function and we're all consumers <laughs> but anything above that oh you know that's becoming kind of aristocratic especially thing in ireland yeah. which has like an interesting relationship with that i mean i used to find it really funny when, when we were so we were in college together and back when we were studying and we, we were involved in the doing society yeah. and there'd often be trips away and kind of before the time of sky scanning the amount of people that would only check Ryanair which is the real budget airline yeah. and wouldn't check Aer Lingus which is our slightly more like prestigious formerly national airline even though their flights were often cheaper oh, because yeah. they felt Ryanair felt exactly. cheaper exactly and there's the classic idea that if you've gone somewhere like nice for lunch mm. that like this is inherently you know like excessive of you not depending on the price even if you know a McDonald's meal still costs the same amount as this sort of thing which as like what I'll do is go into a, sh- a grocery shop and buy a single avocado for lunch <laughs> Which is far cheaper than most fast food. Yeah, but the image seems so, yeah, so you know, and also so so like the image of like these these millennial children right, with exactly. like you know. I mean, an avocado is a bad example in that way because it has an unusually high cultural <laughs> yeah, significance exactly. for a piece but it, of food. But part of that, I think, definitely comes from the. I mean, part of that that kind of discourse comes right. from the idea that these are lo- these like are like unusual 
dip, like different luxuries that like inherently, no matter how cheap the avocado might actually be, yeah, yeah. is inherently some sort of like indulgence that like yeah, possibly can't be afforded. Yeah, something in you that's like a little bit off. Yeah, moral, like, de- like you said, strange. like earlier, like a moral defection. You're not going after virtue anymore. You're going after this indulgence. And I, I feel like though often then as well, you kind of mitigate it's like your relationship with something or how you if you choose to consume it or not becomes about whether it's deemed acceptable rather than whether it you know to borrow the phrase from the Japanese tidying expert Marie Kondo if it like brings you joy yeah but that's the thing I mean we, we talked about before the word like pretentious right where you have this thing I think for people sometimes call something like very pretentious uh, and it it often means different things when you describe people yeah, that well, way. So Dan Fox wrote an amazing book on pretentiousness about two years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a, there's a really brilliant extract on it in The Guardian that we'll, we'll put in the show notes. And his thing, which is the line from it is so brilliant, where he's like, pretension never self, self-identifies. So mm. what you do is never pretentious because you are aware that you enjoy it and you recognise the reasons for doing it. But it's always someone else is listening to silly music or someone else is wearing ridiculous dress I mean it's it's not even like it's not even like often like a ridiculous thing thing where like their taste differs from mine I find their taste absurd I think it Mm. goes even further and it once again kind of clothes itself in this kind of moral language oh yeah well I think I think his argument really is that it's it's people trying to associate with a class that they don't belong to yeah that's often what's seen as yeah, so condemning in it, and just the idea that you couldn't possibly take genuine pleasure in that. The only thing right. you could, like you said, you couldn't be bringing you joy. Yeah, the only yeah. reason you could be doing it is for this reason. You know that it's, for, it's to make other people feel bad or to make to put yourself above other people. Is the only possible reason you could you could want that. Uh, and so, yeah, if anyone's just above you, that's the moment when it must be true. <laughs> you know, whereas with, with you, it's completely normal, and all of the things you like are totally reasonable for you to have. Yeah. Nobody else, just too contrived. And I think it's interesting because so was it about two weeks ago now we went to so the Royal Hibernian Academy oh, yeah. in Dublin have Grace and Perry's taste tapestries on display at the moment. Absolutely fantastic. So amazing. And also really nice because years ago you got me to watch the documentaries on Channel 4 about how he made them. So it's really cool to see them in person because the scale of them is so big mm. as well and the detail is really phenomenal. And it's so interesting because so he has two tapestries for each class mm. and in them there's just such obviously such a presence of material culture. So you really notice it, I think, in the middle class ones where there's um there's like Kath Kidson, there's like the penguin book mugs, and then in there's like a car crash in the, mm. one of the uh, upper class with a Louis Vuitton handbag mm. and spilled out all over the side. And it's like each of these worlds have their own, I don't know what you'd call not even brands or markers, but they have their own... Like, cult- like culture of taste, I suppose. Isn't yeah. it? That's the point. I mean, the, the, I think it was the, like, the program itself was fantastic because he goes around and visits different like you know, working class, middle class, upper class people and just talks to them about why they do the things they do, mm-hmm. like what do they like about it? And there was a great kind of sense of validating people's different desires, and you know, within it, but also contrasting them. Like even the idea that in like, you know, the 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 middle class one, there was a particular sense of like, oh, you couldn't be too ostentatious in this particular way and you couldn't yeah. do it things in that way. I think the middle class one was really interesting because it was kind of more diverse. Yeah. You know, in that there were very distinct forms of like middle class mm. identity. And I think he talked about the narcissism of small differences and how people who are really close to you like highlight how different you actually are from them exactly. more. And then there was like that versus like a kind of more kind of, you know, bookishly cult- cultural kind of right. intellect, like middle class quality. And the same kind of then with, you know, the upper class is then kind of feigning this kind of not caring at all about their situation. Uh, Well, there was two extremes because there was the really traditional kind of like threadbare carpet country house vibe. And then there was the like, I've really made it and I have like a Bentley and an Uber bag thing. And 
And it was it's interesting because like I guess between the six tapestries, it starts with the more the working class background, and it's this kind of young boy in one of those tapestries, and mm. it's kind of about his like journey through. It does feels like it starts off kind of more unified, where it's he feels separate from a culture that's quite hyper masculine, more kind of rigid in a sense. And then things yeah, like he's there the, on the margin, yeah, yeah, yeah. As his as his journey goes through, and he's kind of finding his way through these different worlds in a sense. Mm. But I think it's interesting as well to kind of, you know, like, is there something universal beyond? So everyone is always going to be in their own world. And, you know, whether it's kind of like you're going out top or it's, you know, a super blingy handbag or it's like a Kath Kidson, you know, like tote bag. Are all of these things ultimately trying to bring the same thing into our lives? Um, I think so. I think it's that kind of sense of appreciation that often takes you out of the present moment. You know, like one of the things you can kind of think about is when people really sort of appreciate something, really have that sense of luxury from it, there's a sense with them. Now, whether that's, that's true or not, that like everyone should appreciate this. This is just like a really great thing. That this has like such value to it, which isn't true, I suppose, with, with other things where it might be more like, I think, you know, but it just feels like oh, I'm consuming this thing. I'm doing this thing because it's necessary. I think people... it's, it's, I don't know that I'd agree that there is a sense that everyone, if you have something that feels luxurious, you'd expect everyone else to appreciate it. I think sometimes there's a bit of that, you know, what's that thing? It's like a shibboleth, you know, like yeah. in the Bible about having these like kind of secret code words that mark whether you're in a secret group or not. I think you might think that like everyone else doesn't appreciate it, but that they should. Like, you know, that if, <laughs> if the, do you know what I mean? Like that if you really think this is great, that even if, even if you were to never have it, that someone else should you know, because it, it has it's like when people say oh you know if I was if you were the last person alive it would still feel bad if like some great painting or work of art was destroyed you know that you know, occasionally hear that like pose as a thing and this is the idea that like this thing has you just become conscious of that when you're enjoying it this thing has such value in and of itself not just for satisfying some particular need on your part and I think that that sense is probably common that's that appreciative love yeah no I so I think yeah I could believe that I feel though like the individual items really have to vary for us oh yeah, yeah. definitely I just mean I you... don't think it's like oh I really appreciate this jumper and I feel like every single person will appreciate it I partially like it because I feel like it's somewhat unique and that's very different from food I think something food is a really shared joy or luxury I guess I mean you can say I mean people have different tastes there as well when people you right. know go to have something I think you know what you mean because there's, there's less possibly less diversity in some yeah. ways with people's tastes and that plus it feels more like people sharing it but you know in the same way that I'm sure if someone said this is an excellent glass of wine you know I really think it's important that like some, someone yeah. else save this glass of wine even though lots of people probably wouldn't then like that glass of wine but that's what like you know the person who really appreciates that glass of wine is probably thinking when they savour it it's this sense that this is something worth and value on its own not just that like I want to have a drink or yeah. I want to relax yeah. in that sort of way and I think there is an aspect of that when people do really appreciate things I mean I obviously it, we've just been talking about how personalized something can feel in relation to you but I still think that that sensation when you have the thing in question you just think you know sometimes you want kind of that's why sometimes you want compliments you want people to notice those things because mm-hmm. you want other people to kind of acknowledge this this thing that's sometimes. really interesting actually okay because I think this is another thing that's really different for men and women so what are the compliments that you get given on your appearance that you most appreciate I think that for me it's like that that's like, you know, a nice, uh, like, that's a nice jacket that looks well or whatever. In some ways, it's more about my taste because it's less about my overall appearance. I think for men, I think for men generally, there is definitely less of a constant awareness of that day to day. It can often, it, like, there's much more of a, of like, the self, you know, the kind of the balance between when you compliment someone, the self-consciousness overwhelms them, you know, <laughs> right. for some people. I think that's much more likely to happen yeah. with men where they suddenly feel too self-conscious yeah, because they think it's too noticeable. Right, right. Yeah, because men 
like masculinity isn't something to be kind of like um, visually appreciated. Yeah, maybe so on a small level. Oh, that's nice well, that, there. I mean, that's probably changing now a bit with kind of the rise of bodybuilding. <laughs> you know, yeah, like with CrossFit and everything, there's a much broader mainstream culture for kind of male displays of physical perfection. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a culture that you identify with. Probably. No, but I still think of, I think I understand. That. And then, there's, but it's once again also much more uniform. That there's much more like it's not like you've done something particularly. It's just that like you're built. Yeah. You know that you've. You know you can be that can be impressive in that kind of way. <laughs> I can carry heavy things. But no, but exactly. Yeah. Or that you know you can really see that in like your body. Yeah. And there's once again as ever a practical quality there that like you right. know this guy working an office job who never will have to like you know carry things heavier than like a box of papers or whatever <laughs> yeah. is like well I can well, lift this much. Well, that's like for me the classic example when people talk about women buying expensive clothes and what's seen as the excess there is we don't tend to discuss that when it comes to cars and yeah. men buying cars that can go incredibly fast. <laughs> And with their, like, while well, living in the city with pretty, like, moderate speed limits. Exactly. But I suppose there's a sense that you're not then, there's always this, like, absurd, like, we go back to then, like, you know, where did men's fashion come from? This idea that, like, even if you weren't in the military, you should sort of dress like you are in the military, yeah. you know, because you sort of should be able to do these things and leap into act, you know. And then no one can accuse you of yeah. having this excess of your own personal taste. Because it's one of the things then that you got around the 1700s was that idea that or kind of, I guess, the late 1700s, 1800s was like when, when luxury was accepted as a standard part of, you know, a thriving economy mm. and it was kind of confined to the female. And that was Jennifer Jones, a historian, that really, I think, mm. has made that argument. And the, the fear then, more generally, was that, like, you had to keep it for women because it would feminize men. Like, it would yeah. kind of taint them with this. Yeah, and there's a, there's a divergence. Like, the, the whole yeah. thing in the early 19th century with Bo Rommel kind of setting. So I am... So what is Bo He was Rommel? like this... Uh, he, was, he was like the sartorial advisor to the Prince Regent and just really kind of... The he Prince was, Regent of... Like, oh, in, in England. So okay. he just kind of really... He, met, he was a bit of a wastrel and like a scoundrel. But the one thing he did was like completely change men's fa- fashion by just setting down what you have now as like a suit... And just saying, like, this is how people should dress. It should be very military. It should be very restrained. It should look fantastic, but without any appearance of having tried. Yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, everyone was sort of... He used to have people come to his house to watch him dress in the morning because, you know, he just said this was going to... This, you know, by doing so, having the, that real... The, per- the original personal style exactly. blogger. <laughs> and the original personal brand because he managed, you know, keep, you know, keep living off, off that. And people are advising people until, you know... His luck ran out and he, he had to flee away. But I suppose there was that, like, from that point onwards, you have this idea in men's style. Like, whenever you talk about it, it's like, yeah, that, you know, it should, if it, if it looks well, and even if there's some, like, yeah, excessive things that really don't have any function, like, you know, uh, like a handkerchief in your pocket that's, like, silk that looks really nice, it should be done so as if, like, oh, am I dressed nicely? I guess. Sure, you know, that, that, that should be the kind of the default sense by which... Not not too put together, not too, you know, contrived. This episode is sponsored by Bank of Ireland. Bank of Ireland supports businesses and startups through Workbench, a unique concept which connects entrepreneurs, branch and community by offering free, dedicated space for co-working, seminars, clinics and events to encourage innovation and new ideas. You can find workbenches in Dublin at Grand Canal Square, Trinity College and UCD, as well as in Galway, Limerick and Cork, where you can avail of state-of-the-art facilities including hot desks, interactive screens, complimentary Wi-Fi and events open to startups and entrepreneurs. For more information, visit bankofireland.com.
mean, how do you feel about? Because I think there's a lot of guilt around luxury. Oh yeah, I, I think I suppose I think because like I think we've been saying if there's a sense that like people two reasons I think partly that people feel they're being impractical, like you said, and also that people feel on the other end that people feel like the way in which they're being luxurious, the way in which they're being slightly impractical, is going too far outside you know, the norm mm. or whatever. And so people then end up feeling really guilty that they've, you know, overspent on those avocados or that they've, um, you know, that they're buying a house, whatever, or that, that they've, I suppose, the things that they've chosen aren't immediately comprehensible to someone else. Mm. And it seems like, an, I think particularly with men, like it seems like an ex- excessive amount of, like, personal taste on their part to go particularly for that. You know, to go, you know, instead of just spending money in, like, more obvious mm. ways. Still the same amount of money, perhaps, yeah. as we said, or possibly even more but not in more readily understandable ways. Um, I mean, do you feel, I mean, luxury items, which feels like such a kind of silly way to approach them, but, I mean, does luxury have a role in, like, well-being for you? I mean, I know for me, like, kind of wearing kind of... Like, I have a very... People are surprised I have a very, very small wardrobe. Like, it is, like... (laughs) A really standard size wardrobe and everything fits hanging up. People are astounded. Partially because like I have no dead weight, like everything there is. And I and then I have a a, a drawer full of jumpers. But for me, putting on a nice clothes, like appreciating or having fabrics that I like, that I'm wearing, is a really important part of what makes me feel good. And that kind of those things being a bit more special, having a bit of care in them, and even like I mean, I'm really nerdy about laundry. Like I love washing stuff, hand washing things buying kind of like natural stain removers for you know fancy silk tops and stuff oh yeah i was gonna say earlier when we were talking about you know uh you've mentioned like the, the silk top with the wine on it mm. uh it's like it feels a little bit like yeah a little bit like same as like mending shoes and things that you're doing it yourself there's a sudden right. sense of like caring for these things you really like feeling like you've really done you know you get that, that tr- tricky stain out having like won it back in mm. a sense uh, well, what I like as well is say, well, I feel really interesting with a lot of natural fibres, so especially wool and silk, which mm. are, you know, they're animal byproducts. Mm. I think people always forget that like silk is actually from silkworms and they often they tend, tend to seem to almost like clean themselves. Yeah. I, there's so many times I put something in like a bag to uh, hand wash it and I leave it there for a few weeks and I go back and the stain is really, really removed. And there's this kind of sense that they kind of have a little bit of a life of their own and they're yeah there's something yeah, interesting but, about that well that's always the thing the most obvious thing with like leather where it's like it's like yeah. a skin you know if you would you know people occasionally if they like mistreat leather items like it's like would you treat your skin like that because that's what it is it's dead skin so if you treat that badly you're going to find that it's it will suffer in the same way that like skin would right. um there's something that's but that's something nice thing about having like really nice like if you've really nice um tweed as well and you get like a stain in it you can often just brush it off because the way the material mm-hmm. sits it doesn't it it's hard for things to soak into it yeah. deep down so you can just kind of get rid of it like that and actually that's the thing i mean definitely not i mean a traditional workwear fabric but denim you're often told not to wash it but yeah you should put it in the freezer yeah because it just you'll damage it and like and bleach the, it. the water and all the detergent mm. is really bad for it and apparently what you really need to do is like neutralize the odors mm, exactly and that's a freezer does quite effectively. Also, getting off chewing gum, apparently, I've heard freezers before. <laughs> also, ice is very good if you have a, a breakout coming up. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, unexpected joys to be had. Well, the, 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 most, the most... Unexpected joy sounds a bit gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of unexpected benefits to freezers. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of... But, like, all... I think that's the nice thing you feel about a lot of things like that, where you can feel like those sort of tricks... We'll just kind of remedy problems mm. but you were saying like about you know has this morning whatever the role that plays of having something nice like that yeah 
And I think, I think, yeah, I think day to day, part of it is that, like, if you if you have that material of a very nice, like, really nice leather that you've, you know, you've, like, if you, for example, if you polish shoes, I always find that like something that's very satisfying about that process. I have, I think, polished shoes like once <laughs> in my life. But um, <laughs> but there's something, there's something, there's something like a process to it, a bit like with laundry. Well, what I think is really interesting about that as well is like kind of like a counter to that idea that like the fears you had when society was becoming a more mass commercial setup is that like those luxury items they command a higher price but then kind of they mean a slightly less commercial existence because you're taking care of them and mending them you're not buying something new each time it wears out and replacing it it's not that cyclical exactly yeah well that's just it's like not fast fashion it's not high street right. it becomes a lot more that sort of be able to find something really good and yeah. take care of it it's just really move yourself out of that kind of that kind of constantly shifting thing and this is I mean as I said this is in part what like you know menswear brands kind of fancy sell themselves on mm. this thing will last like this thing you know never goes out of style this is just you know the traditional you know model for it uh, partly by having those like uh, you know practical elements incorporated like even like even Gucci has that like you know their loafer with the horse bit in it right. it's like unexpected appearance of like practical things in them unexpected you know use of like normal things or the way like Todd's iconic shoes are driving shoes yes exactly yeah, yeah. so one thing I think it's really it's, it's so interesting we, we'll discuss it kind of in our lives these luxury items are being really taken care of and they last and mm. that's not how we imagine the typical luxury consumer you know we much more think of a woman with like rooms full of clothes and yeah. she's buying a new season thing like every every six months and this really fast turnover so a behavioural pattern that's much more what you get with the high street but just like way more expensive yeah. and what's really interesting is there's an amazing article the business of fashion did a good few years ago now but they had someone from bmp paradise is that how you say that yeah those finance people yes, yes. um and talking about how the like the luxury sector isn't driven by wealthy people but by the middle classes and it's something to say with louis vuitton you know they have these like exotic skin luggage bags that mm. are thousands and thousands but it's their 700 euro leather tote that is the bread and butter the main core of their business you know so it's the woman with her first paycheck exactly yeah i was gonna say the person who like gets right. that and they treasure that then for a while yeah. then get a new one they're really happy with that but i think i think like you said it's that thing when we're talking about can like luxurious things relates back to one of those like can luxurious things be unluxurious right like those sort of people who end up making luxuries into into non-luxuries yeah. You know, it's like when the like, like a flippancy about like, them. Well, like when we, we went to that analogy with like drinking wine. It's like when you become like an alcoholic. Not that these people are in a similar situation, but just <laughs> in, the, in the sense that like you end up not appreciating the thing that perhaps you initially did appreciate. Right. The thing which a lot of people is a luxury just becomes like a necessity. It has the same thing as like becomes so not even because because it's ordinary, not because you even have a lot of it, but because your approach to it is yeah, that's so interesting. Is not taking it because it ceases yeah. to be like that was the thing we were talking about with them. C.S. Lewis and he talks about like need love appreciative love and like want love and you have this if if something becomes like that where you don't it becomes just to like satisfy something some urge you have the moment you've satisfied it it kind of goes you lose right. the kind of appreciation of it. it was one of the things I think with like luxuries and things like that that you appreciate is that you continue to appreciate them even even if you have them you know mm-hmm. so you continue to appreciate the glass of wine you continue to appreciate you know the, the article of clothing not just as like fulfilling the practical function it does but as having you know or like even just like oh do i look nice today but you know yeah. reasonably nice but like this thing on its own is just so nice yeah yeah so even you know like away from the world just yeah. an isolated situation it's something and i think you know when i think of sort of my history with fashion 
a real defining thing for me was when I was, I don't know, I was so young, I think I was like 14 maybe, and I'd worked all summer at my mom's restaurant, and then I'd gone over to London for a few days, and the money I'd saved up, I bought a pair of Marc Jacobs gold flat shoes, <laughs> and I took them back home, and I mean, I think they were like 90 pounds or something, and it was the most exciting thing, and I was like, <laughs> I own something of Marc Jacobs, that is amazing, but no one, like none of my friends had any idea what they were, I think it might even mean 13, and like I was in West Cork in the middle of the country, they were, they were, they were kind of were, were out without any kind of context, like social, yeah. like prestige. You couldn't wear them necessarily for any particular thing. Yeah, I mean, I wore them all the time. Yeah, of course, yeah. But I just really liked them. And just in an abstract sense, I just, like, they're beautifully made. I, I never had a pair of shoes of, like, that quality before. Yeah. But and that's... that weirdness as well. They were bright gold pointed flat <laughs> shoes. Yeah. You know, there's something so fun about that. Yeah, but and the thing, I think that that's, I think what I mean about, about like, the thing, even if no one else, you feel mm-hmm. like it, you has to be kind of, shared not in the sense like I have to show it to people but just that someone else should be able should appreciate this that even if I couldn't mm. these are just so like lovely um, and such a nice thing and I think actually an interesting kind of carry on from that is so I'm a huge fan of Brené Brown the TED talk phenomenon uh, social researcher and one of the things she talks about and she actually talks about this in relation to sort of chocolate often or I think TV a lot of these things that we use to kind of quote make ourselves feel better and mm. she's saying you know you could have one square of chocolate and it could be the most joyful experience mm. about such kind of like appreciation or you could you know but that's very different from like downing a chocolate bar before you go into like a stressful meeting with your boss because you're trying to exactly yeah. the pain of it but it's that thing like that's why like the c.s lewis then think distinction again between like you know that kind of that like want you have that want of chocolate the moment you have it yeah it's got the appreciation's gone. Like, oh, like, I feel like you're sick and a bit disgusted. Yeah, with I'm, I'm happy I've quenched my desire for like sugar and like chocolate, but that's like gone. Tell me if you have a glass of water or I'm not right. thirsty. It's not like I really appreciate that. And even a few minutes after, like you've, you've swallowed the chocolate, you can still just think, God, how lovely was that? And like, how nice is chocolate? Because you kind of that still that appreciation of it. So even the same thing, even like if the exactly the same person, you can somehow like I think it's like sort of kind of a mindfulness about mm-hmm. how you consume it. Uh, and like that's the thing I suppose with luxuries that they kind of inspire that sort of mindfulness in, right. in them because of how what your relationship to them is yeah. in part but also because of something about themselves that's interesting because it links back to that kind of the fashion with a capital mm. F the more kind of female culture around clothing because it is it's that difficulty in understanding and it's like oh this isn't an easy functional white shirt or a grey jumper this is something that's like requiring a bit more care and attention so kind of what I'm describing is what for me makes something luxurious is it's that same principle yeah actually is what it's not just ticking the box yeah yeah it has something else to it yeah. I think it's I think it's I think yeah I think it has exactly that kind of interesting interesting kind of qualities and for you do you think there could be something that's quite plain that could mm. still ever be a luxury. Oh, definitely. Like yeah. I mean, I love a good white silk shirt. Exactly, well. yeah. I, I kind of, I've gone through a phase where I think I <laughs> satisfied those more basic <laughs> needs and desires and then started building in kind of like pieces yeah, kind of yeah. into my wardrobe. Classic wardrobe building advice. Yeah, exactly. Um, many a style blog uh, written with that. But I think that's a nice way to end. If maybe you can list for me three things in the past week that have been luxuries that have brought you joy in that way. Um, well, definitely, you know, newly repaired trousers. What could be better? Uh, I also recently, to also tie back, I polish my shoes, and every time going out, the fact that they they have a smell, even even after a day, and let's say the rain, there's still a smell off them. There's still like a, a very texture off them. Uh, that brought me joy, and I think as well, uh, I had uh, a very nice cup of coffee 
uh, two days ago. And it took me, it wasn't even like, I need a caffeine. It started with that, but it got to much more just wallowing in the caffeine. Photographs of this episode are available on frankmagazine.com, where issues of our print publication are available for purchase. Our music has come to me by Emily Worlds, courtesy of the Free Music Archive, and thanks to Anna McNamara-Taylor and Trinity FM for providing recording space. Your host was me, Bryony Summers, and our editor was Emma Costello.